This is the Oracle Podcast with Ben Moa. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of The Oracle. I want to share a definition with you guys, and uh, the definition is a deep and sorrowful distress caused by or as if by bereavement. That is the definition of grief. You see, grief is something that we experience when we lose. Uh, not like losing like I guess like a sport or uh, like a game or something but like when you lose somebody who you love like we lose things all the time we lose material things we lose our keys we lose our phone we misplace those things and uh, what gets us about when we lose those items is that uh, we think about how we're supposed to live when we don't have that thing anymore if I lose my car keys like what am I supposed to do I can't use my car. If I lose my phone, how am I supposed to contact this person, this and that? But when we lose those items, we can always replace it. But when we lose someone we love, that's not something that we can just buy back. So then what's the solution when we experience loss, when we experience pain? Is there even one? Today on the show, we have Mike Tucker sharing his story and his perspective and what he's learned about grief. Okay, well, my name is Mike Tucker, and I'm uh, from Dallas, Texas, and uh, I am currently speaker director for Faithful Today Television, uh, the oldest religious television broadcast in the world. We're 68 and a half years old, and no, I did not found it. Um, <laughs> I've been with the ministry about 14 and a half years, and I, I, I'm also currently, uh, well, first of all, I'm, I'm uh, the host of Lifestyle Magazine, which is our flagship program, and I'm currently helping to plant a church in Richardson, Texas, just north of Dallas, uh, with another pastor, and uh, we've, we've just gone live with that church uh, in October. In the past, I've done everything from uh, teacher, uh, teaching Bible and, and uh, academies, day schools and uh, boarding academies. I've been a chaplain uh, for schools, also a hospital, hospice, home health uh, chaplain, uh, psychiatric chaplain. Um, and I have um, uh, pastored churches for about 25 years. And, uh, so, and I've been in television ministry the last 14 and a half years. Um, and some of those jobs I've done concurrently, otherwise you end up with about 60 years worth of service. It's, it's closer to 45, so, um, uh, but, uh, so, which is long enough, right? But anyway, I've done a lot of different things, uh, which either means that I have uh, a, a little bit of, of talent in a lot of areas or I can't hold a job, one or the other. I'm not sure which. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure it's that you have talent everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> 
I have so many questions about all those things you just told me. Like, yeah, I'm yeah. so curious. <laughs> but, um, oh, man, we definitely, like, uh, I'm finding out when I ask and have interviews with people, like, I definitely have to interview them again so I can learn more yeah. from the yeah. things you're telling me about. Yeah, and I even forgot to tell you I'm a counselor. I've, I've got a, a degree in counseling. I've done that uh, for quite a few years. Anyway, it, it's, it's a lot of stuff, which which means basically that I'm old and I've done a lot of things. So, anyway. <laughs> don't you, don't, do you ever get tired? Uh, yeah, I'm tired all the time, especially as, as I get older. But, uh, you know, you, there's a difference between uh, being weary of your work and weary in your work. And uh, I've never been weary of the work. Uh, I have often been weary in, uh, of, uh, not, in the work, but not of the work. Uh, I, I always love what I do. Um, I've been so blessed to have so many jobs that I really enjoy. Uh, some of them more than others, but all of them I've enjoyed. Uh, I've been blessed by them, and and only pray that I've blessed others through the process. But um, I, I I I thrive off ministry. I enjoy it. Um, that's why even now, though I'm full time employed, uh, my wife and I are helping to plant a church, and that's just in, in our spare time. When we're in town, we do that, um, and we we've been traveling about 180 days a year. And so um, it's a lot of travel, but still, it's something that we we uh, we thrive on. I I thoroughly love ministry, so I I do it even rather than play golf, I guess you know, which I should be doing, but I'm not. So. <laughs> That's good. That's inspiring, and um, I'm just amazed about your passion, even though you've been serving for so long, that you still have that passion in you. Mm-hmm. Um, this episode, um, as I was telling you before. Uh, I want to focus more so on a specific aspect that you've experienced in your life and yeah. uh, the aspect of grief and pain. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but actually, you know, it's funny. I was talking to Pastor Elizabeth Poulet and uh, I mentioned, accidentally said suffering and she said they're not necessarily always the same thing. Yeah. And so my first question to you, Mike, would be, uh, you wrote a book recently and mm-hmm. uh, what's the name of the book? Sorry. Tears to Joy, One Man's Journey Through Grief. And so my question, for, my first question to you, just to give context to listeners, what was your major experience of grief or what was the cause of that in your life? Well, I told you that I'm married, but I, that is basically I'm remarried. And that's a, a fairly recent phenomenon for us. Uh, I, I was married for uh, over 40 years to uh, Gail Whitaker. Uh, we uh, we worked together. We raised a family together. We pastored together. Traveled the world together. Did uh, created seminars together and conducted those all over the world. Did television together. We worked for uh, as as I say uh, the entirety really of our married life. We were a a ministry team. Uh, she was a pastor, a teacher. She did a variety of things, and of course was a co-host with me. And after about 40 years and three, three months, uh, she passed away. She, she, she started having numbness in, in, um, in her right hand, couldn't hold objects. And uh, it, it came one day and then went away, and the next day it came, but we had to catch a flight to, from Dallas to Vancouver, British Columbia. So we flew up there, and, uh, but it didn't go away that day. We were at a dinner. We had to speak and then have a dinner with a group of pastors and uh, she couldn't hold a fork in her right hand, so I sat on the right side in order to help guard and guide should the need arrive, uh, arise, and she ate with the left hand. The next day, uh, she did about four hours of presentation with me in high heels and 
but with the microphone in her left hand because she couldn't hold it in the right, and no one knew anything was wrong. I kept saying, we need to go to the hospital. She said, wait till we get back to the States. We landed then um, uh, in the next day in, in Dallas, and I said, which hospital do you want to go to because you're not going home? And this was on March the 6th, 2016. We went to the hospital. At first, they diagnosed strokes. We thought, well, there can't be strokes because she has no risk factors for it. And even they admitted we have to find the, the source of this. And eventually, after 10 days and two hospitalizations, CAT scans, MRIs, and eventually a biopsy, uh, they found uh, stage 4 pancreatic cancer that had already metastasized to the liver. The involvement was huge. They said, really, there's nothing to do other than go home and and enjoy what time you have left. The diagnosis came on March 16, and we went home, and she died April 10. And so it was a rather quick, uh, a quick time from first symptom to diagnosis to uh, to death. She died peacefully at home with her daughters and and myself there. But this was, uh, suffice it to say, the most difficult, uh, the biggest loss of my life as a chaplain and counselor. I've helped people through grief. I've taught grief recovery classes. I'm well aware of the literature. And, uh, and you know, we've all had some experience of loss as we go through, but eventually then there comes that big one that knocks you for a loop and tests everything you thought you knew about the experience. And uh, so I determined that I would, I would be the best practitioner of the advice I'd given to others with major losses as I went through the process. And so, yeah, it was, it was a kick in the gut. Uh, it, it, the only people who can understand the, the enormity of that kick are people who have experienced something similar themselves, the loss of a spouse, the loss of a child. And I've not lost a child. That's, uh, I think that that's even a step beyond what I've done. But um, if you've not been there, you can't tell anyone I know what you feel because you don't. Uh, there's no way of knowing it. Even, even now when someone else I know loses a spouse, I don't tell them I know exactly what you feel because I don't. I, I have a hint as to the enormity of that pain, but I do not know exactly what they feel because they are a different person. Their relationship with the individual was different. Uh, the, you know, the, the loss, it's just all, all different. There are similarities, obviously. But uh, the size of that pain, the enormity of the loss is something that no one can describe. And, and you don't want to know um, uh, because to know it, you have to go through it. So when people say that, like, how does that make you feel? Like, I, I'm sure you heard people say that type of lie to yeah. you. Yeah. And, you know, the, the truth is that I know the motivation behind saying it. I know that people want to to be helpful. They want to be nice. Um, and so... I just uh, I go with um, the the intent of the statement rather than the statement itself. If I just go with the statement, I get mad and, and you know, and you have to say something uh, ugly, and that's that's not helpful for them or to me either. So I know that they intend to help, and so I just kind of ignore it. If they press with that, if they press with it, then I will gently and lovingly tell them, you really don't. Uh, there's no way you can know this until you've gone through it. And even if you've been through it, even then, my loss is different than yours. But, you know, the, the natural response is one of, of anger or just, you know, you want to shut down. But I know people want to be helpful. And so I just 
I make the best assumption about people uh, and try to go with that. So after after the loss that you experienced, uh, what were the evident signs? Like how did it affect your day to day life? What changed? Well, the the shorter question would be what didn't change, and and really nothing. Uh, you can't say that that there was one aspect of my life that did not change. Everything. I mean, this was my constant companion. We were together ninety to ninety five percent of the time. Traveled. I traveled a lot, and ninety to ninety five percent of my traveling was with her. I wrote books with her. Did TV shows with her. But it's not just that. It's just the the everyday life. We raised children together. We have grandchildren together. Um, uh, she was uh, something as simple as you know sleeping in a bed by yourself. Uh, it, when you've slept with this person for forty years, and all of a sudden you go to bed and it's empty, and you realize there's never not going to be anyone in it, um, uh, and then you wake up and it's still empty, and you look in the closet and her clothes are there, and you shower in the shower that she wanted you to remodel. And you go downstairs, and there's her kitchen with her pots and pans and silverware and china and, and the, the, the piano that her father gave us and the china cabinet that her father made. You, you understand what I'm, I'm – everything was a constant reminder. And then the reminder that, that, I, that everything I've been doing as a team had to be done independently. There's a surreal experience uh, to waking up and getting dressed and putting on your best suit and realizing that you're dressing to go to your wife's funeral. It's just the most bizarre thing. And then to, to, to do your best to look good, to walk down to your car and get it and to make the drive. And on my way, I, I was driving, it was about a 45 minute drive to the church where we held the funeral. It was a place where we had pastored together. And on my way, you know, probably you shouldn't be driving because you're, you don't know what you're doing. And maybe I cut somebody off. Maybe I didn't, I don't know, but some guy was better around me and gave me the, the, the one finger salute, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> he, he flipped me off and I started laughing, uh, as he drove past and I'm just laughing. I'm thinking, dude, if only that were the worst thing that was happening to me today, <laughs> you have no idea how little that means to me right now. I just, you know, I mean, that means absolutely nothing. And so I actually it served as a bit of comic relief uh, as I drove to the funeral. Um, everything changes. Uh, your things that you used to love to do, you don't do, love anymore. Uh, you, your your sleep is changed. Your your appetite has changed. Uh, most people lose appetite, although some people try to eat their way through grief, and others will go back and forth. Uh, somatic disturbances are are quite. Uh, common you either you sleep all the time or you you can't sleep at all or you you sleep restlessly for two to three hours you awaken still tired but can't go back to sleep uh the last thought on your mind before you go to sleep and the first thought when you wake up is of the deceased um you your thoughts are are constantly of them um and a lot of sadden if only thoughts um and and then wondering what on earth am i going to do what's the future going to be how am I going to survive this? What about my children? What about my grandchildren? Uh, what about my ministry? Can I do ministry without her? Because I've, I've, I've never done it without her. It's always been. You understand that everything changes, and that you have more questions than you have answers. Uh, we, were, we were co-earners of income, so now I'm down to one income. 
what does that look like? Uh, can I survive? I, you know, uh, I don't know exactly how much insurance money is coming to. You know, all those questions are running through your mind simultaneously. And the, the but the least of my worries were the money. It was, it was, uh, where's my foundation? Right? It's it's like about the time you think you've figured out life's answers, uh, somebody changed all the questions. Uh, it's like Scotty beamed you to the wrong planet and nothing makes sense anymore. Um, you can't, you, you've lost your bearing. You've lost your true north. Um, that's what it's like. So you said something very interesting there is that, uh, you have so many questions and no answers. Yeah. Um, and, and today, uh, just, you can look back and it's been a journey yeah. You wrote a book about your journey and yes. how did you even get, like, how did you even, without answers to all your questions, how were you able to move forward? Or like, have you even fully been able to move forward? Or is that like just something that can never be fully done? Well, let's put it this way. You never really recover, but you do adjust. Uh, and you, eventually you have to choose a new life. Uh, there's some things about the old life that you retain. Um, uh, ministry is still my passion. It always has been and always will be. Uh, eventually, some of the things I used to enjoy returned. I, I, I'm still a sports fanatic, not as intensely as I was. I still like to play golf uh, badly, but I still, you know, I enjoy it. And ministry has always been my passion. And, of course, my, my love for my children, my family, uh, that never changed. But you do eventually have to make changes, changes to the way you do things, changes to your life. And you have to decide, am I going to reinvest? And that's really what you decide. It, you create a new you and a new life, and you begin to realize, all right, I, I've been given a gift of life for whatever reason I don't know. But the greatest sin would be to waste it. Um, and so as long as I have breath, uh, I need to live life to the fullest. And for me, that meant, I, I, I taught classes where I told people, uh, I quote people like uh, Martin Luther King uh, Jr. And, and others who said, no man is ready to live until he's found something that he would die for. Um, I, I realized that, that life has to do with service, with sacrifice, with living for a cause bigger than just you. Otherwise, what's the point? And for me, that's been my, my Lord and service and uh, doing what I can to help others, to bless others. And, of course, taking care of your family and, and enjoying life along the way. So I had to make some decisions about what I was going to do. And, and that meant reinvesting in ministry, uh, reinvesting in my family. And eventually, for me, but not for everyone, it meant uh, falling in love again and, and remarriage. But uh, but it was a long journey to get from point A to point B. And different people will make different choices along the way. That's fine. But the journey, what, what I found out is that the answers were over, overrated. What was more important was the journey itself. You have to make, you have to make the journey. And there's some answers you won't get until you get to heaven. That, that's fine. Uh, I can live without the answers because I have a life. And I realized that the journey itself is of greater value than perhaps anything else. So in that journey, like, were you ever tempted to make, I guess, to cope in bad ways? Like, you know, like, what what are those bad ways that, like, we're, we can be tempted with to get through grief? Well, the, the things that, you're, that grief does to you is it automatically isolates you. 
because you realize that no one really quite understands what you're going through. So already you're isolated. And then even when you're, you're grieving the same losses of the people, you realize that you grieve this differently. You go through that differently. That has a tendency to isolate you. So to withdraw, to withdraw within yourself, to be isolated, to not share, to not open up, those are some of the temptations. Other temptations have to do with numbing the pain, either by ignoring it or medicating it or drinking through it or something of that nature. Um, all of those are unhealthy behaviors, and none of them are helpful. Um, and so I determined that I would do, that I would cling to that which I knew to be healthy. And to be healthy meant that I was going to, there are four activities in grief that, that get you through it. Think, talk, write, and cry. And I determined that I would do all of those, uh, with every opportunity that I had. So I kept a journal. I, I basically, it's not so much a journal as, as a series of blog posts that I wrote, uh, chronicling my experience, my symptoms. Um, my, my insights, my ups, my downs, and it, uh, most of those blog posts have ended up in my book because they just chronicle what it's like to go through that experience yourself at the moment. Um, I, I cried whenever I felt like it. And sometimes that's embarrassing when you cry in public, but you know, it is what you, what it is. And, and I discovered that, that no matter how much you cry, you can't kill yourself by crying. Uh, no one's ever done that. I, if, if they could have, I would have, it would have happened. I also discovered that I'm a very ugly crier. I make, I make noises I never dreamed I could make, and they're horrific. Um, I, but, but I also told the story. I told the story as often as I could. Uh, within months, I was shooting shows with other ministries on my experience. And uh, I shot shows with, with the Lifestyle magazine on the experience as well. That, that's another way to tell the story. I've done blog posts like yours and, and you know audio blogs and everything else in order to, uh, to tell the story. That's healthy. I did the healthy activities. I added to that a couple of others. Um, one is to pray. And so prayer was a, a, a frequent activity of mine. And then uh, for me, also regular exercise. I walked. I, I became a grief walker. And I walked, oh, easily 7 to 12 miles a day. And my I think my record is 14 or 15 miles in one day. Um, and so that became my exercise, but it also became my prayer time. So I, I engaged in those activities and re-engaged in life. I kept a regular schedule. I tried to eat decently and to avoid harmful things and just to fill my life fill, full of, of, uh, of good things, the things that I thought would be good for me. And I found that by writing, by crying, by praying, by exercising, and by uh, talking, um, by thinking the thoughts fully, that that facilitated things. I also engaged in a practice I refer to leaning into the pain. And this was something that was good for me. Be, you see, grief is a bully. It, it's an abusive experience because it kind of takes control of your life and it makes you feel like you have absolutely no control. Uh, it bosses you around. It surprises you when you're not ready for it. And so I decided that I would do my best to hit first. Uh, and by that, I would ex anticipate experiences that I thought would be painful, and I would engage in those processes uh, or those activities before I knew I needed to. Um, I, I wanted to do it on my terms rather than on grief's terms. If, if, if I allowed grief to be the rule, then I would, it would always catch me by surprise. An example of that is I, I went back and I preached my first sermon scarcely three months after the loss. 
I had a camp meeting that I went to and, and, and spoke before several thousand people. Um, and uh, it's amazing I got through it, but I did. I had uh, three sermons over that weekend and, and got through them and, and said, all right, I've done that. I, I know I can do this again. I got back in the studio as quickly as I could and shot new shows. That's something I had done with her. I also took a couple of vacations, uh, places that I had gone with, with Gail that I wanted to be able to go again. And so, and I did the first one to New York City um, in June, and she died in April. I took frequent flyer miles and hotel points, and, uh, and I went to New York City because we'd like, we did that from time to time. We'd go there. We loved Broadway musicals. And so um, I went to a Broadway musical without her, cried through the whole stinking thing. And, uh, and from there, went to our favorite restaurant just off Times Square and ate and cried. But I, I survived that trip. I walked around Times Square. I went to Central Park. I, I went to museums. And, and I survived it. And I realized that even though it was painful, I had done it. And New York City was mine again. Um, a few months later, I, I took a cruise because we've, we've done a lot of cruises and we've paid for very few of them. We've been fortunate that either we, we go because I'm preaching or because we were doing family life together. And so I booked a cruise and went by myself and uh, cried the entire cruise. But at the end of it, I realized that I'd reclaimed it for myself. I, I can go back. I can do it again. I, I chose to lean into experiences that I knew I would have to go through that would be painful. And I did it before I had to. I chose to lean into the pain. Not everyone can do that. Not everyone should. But that was an effective tactic for me, uh, leaning into the pain. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like a very powerful method. It's like you didn't let pain hit you. You hit the pain. Like you went exactly. to it. Exactly. And in the midst of it, it's hard to tell if I was winning or not. But, <laughs> but at the, it hurt so bad. But at the end... I realized that the thing I had done had, had benefited me. I've been back to New York City since then uh, on a vacation, and, and it was fine. I've been on a cruise since then. I've got another one scheduled as a speaker uh, coming up again uh, next fall, and I, I'm not dreading it um, because I know I've, I've done this before now. Uh, so I can do those things. I've, I can engage in all the ministry practices. I've written a book. Well, you know. Tears of Joy was the first book I wrote without her, um, and she had no part in that other than that she was the subject of much of it. So, um, so I've done those things that I've done before, but I, I, I leaned into them and I did them as quickly as I possibly could. Uh, there, were, there was an experience or two. Uh, you always give yourself an out in case you start to lean into it and it hurts too much. Then you give yourself an escape route. And I only took that escape route once, and that was at Thanksgiving. I, I engaged in a, an activity that was too much for me. It was just overwhelming, and I exited. Um, I said, all right, I'm not ready for this yet. But, uh, but most of the other things, all the other things I was able to lean into and do on my timetable rather than griefs. And, and in so doing, I, I reclaimed them. Um, anyway, that's, that's part of what I did. Think, talk, write, and cry. Um, there, there are signposts along the way. The first is you have to believe that it really happened because some people almost live in denial. And if you do that for long, you, you never really come back and you never get over. You can't grieve something you don't accept. And then the next thing is to be willing to experience the pain. And that means that you don't try to avoid it. You let it come when it comes or 
in my case, you lean into it as well and try to anticipate it and do it early. Um, you make the adjustments to daily life without that individual in your life, such as sleeping alone, cooking, uh, going on vacations alone, uh, engaging in the household activities that she used to do. I, I began to learn how to do those things. Or you make accommodations for it, um, you know, whether it be paying the bills or going to a party by yourself, which is the oddest thing. But um, you, doing those things, uh, that, and then number five is to be willing to say goodbye to the relationship as it existed, withdraw the emotional energy and reinvest it. You don't say goodbye to your love or to your memories. You can't and you shouldn't. But the relationship as it once existed has changed forever, whether you want it to or not. Because they used to be there for you to talk to, hold, embrace, and engage in activity with. You can't do that anymore. They're gone. And so you have to say goodbye to that, that form of the relationship and embrace the new relationship, which is still in your heart but in your memories. And withdraw the energy invested in the old relationship and eventually reinvest it. And the first place you reinvest it may not be the, the, the long-term reinvestment. It's just the first place. But eventually, your reinvestments are going to, the best ones come in God and in others, um, uh, whether it be service or, or your, your love for people, your family, whatever. Uh, it's in God and others. Those are the long-term investments that make a difference and bring meaning and value to your life. Mike, thank you so much just for sharing that, um, for sharing your story and sharing like, the pain that you went through and also giving us like a solution that you learned through your experience. Um, and I hope that what you'll join me again to, for another conversation, just so that uh, I can learn from you more on different subjects and this one. Oh, I'd be happy to talk to you. I don't know if I've, I got anything to teach you. Maybe you should teach me, <laughs> but, but, but I'll be happy to join you anytime. I just have one more question just in closing. Yeah. Um, there's definitely listeners, people who are listening to this podcast, who their story uh, and their experience intersects with yours in the sense of facing grief. Um, yeah. What would you tell them just as a first step to take um, to to start their journey? Well, first of all, uh, don't try to look long-term. Uh, long-term planning and, and grief may be next hour. Um, so so don't, don't try to anticipate how long this is going to take because it'll, take, it'll be different for you than it was for me. Uh, be gentle with yourself. Just take the next step, one step at a time. Uh, invest in the things that are of value to you. That means your friends, your family, uh, and in God. And you, even if you're angry with God, tell him you're angry and he'll deal with it. Uh, but you, you need that resource right now. Even if you're angry, it's okay. Tell him that. I, I don't understand. I'm angry with you. But I, I, actually, I need you, so I'm going to use you. Tell him that, and that's okay. He'll take that. Uh, just, just take the next step. Um, establish as much for you yourself as possible a schedule that is not too demanding, but is certainly regular. Do the healthy things: think, talk, write, cry, pray, um, and and don't do this alone. It's bigger than you. One day at a time. Sometimes it's just one hour at a time. Uh, but eventually, things change. They change slowly. But they change, and eventually you can come through this. You'll, you'll never be the same. And recovery is really a bad word for it. But you will make an adjustment, and you can live again. And you can find joy again. I did. You can too. 
I just want to give a really big shout out and thanks to Mike Tucker for uh, sharing uh, your strength and encouraging all the listeners. Uh, thank you for sharing your story. You can find his book online on ABC on Adventist Book Center. Um, if you Google search Tears to Joy, One Man's Journey Through Grief uh, by Mike Tucker. Thank you so much again, listeners, for uh, tuning in to another episode of The Oracle. Uh, this is episode five. And uh, please share uh, your opinions and how you feel. Um, let me know if anything I can work on to make this podcast a better experience for you who are listening. And uh, I just look forward to the new episodes that are coming up very soon. Uh, stay blessed and happy new year.